What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of The Promised Land, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by 90min. I'm Scott Saunders, joined once again by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. Remember to subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast provider. We're on Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts and follow us on Twitter as well. You can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob, underscore B and at Promised Land MU. Rob, it's not going well, is it? How are you doing, mate? that's kind of how I feel (laughs) and I think that's how social media feels and I think that's how everyone who supports Manchester United feels um we are at the proverbial crossroads I think with this football team uh it's a very very disappointing day again at Old Trafford I was there watching the game against Everton and I just think that with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now whatever his idea his philosophy is about football We need to start seeing it because I think that United have bought very well in the transfer market. They've got some very good players. However, we are definitely not seeing it in performances. Something of a regression in performances, I think. Uh, We're seeing problems this season that perhaps we weren't expecting to see at the back end of last season. We came out of last season thinking, right, we just got to fix this thing and this thing and this thing and we'll be okay. And now new problems are cropping up, even with the new signers that have come in. We will uh, we'll dive into the Everton game. We'll dive in perhaps briefly to the Villarreal game or a, a specific moment within it in today's show. Uh, we'll talk about where United stand in the league and maybe look backwards this week, uh, whereas we're in an international break now. So perhaps next week we'll look forward at the tough fixture list that United have coming up. And also in today's show, we'll look at the transfers. So United have signed Cristiano Ronaldo, Rafael Varane and Jaden Sancho. And maybe we'll just dig into each one, see how they've started. Um, nobody really like a house on fire, unless you kind of want to put that defence up for Ronaldo. But we'll, we'll get into that and we'll get into a lot more around Cristiano Ronaldo and the potential problems that we might be seeing uh, with him in the team at the moment. I know you're quite keen to talk about that, Rob. Um, We'll also look at Mike Phelan's new deal and just a general analysis of Oli and uh, his position in general after the first seven games of the season. United are also out of the Carabao Cup, obviously, and it's been a mixed start in the Champions League, to put it nicely. So, Rob, you were at the Villarreal game and the draw with Everton. These are the last two games that uh, United have played, both at home. The home record is not good. Um, The performances are not good, possibly worse. And... What do you, I mean, I'll put it this way. So I watched United draw with Everton after playing pretty well for a period in the Everton game, but obviously things happened. United got counter-attacked and Everton equalised and they took a point. They could have taken more. And then the following day, we saw Liverpool versus Man City. And that game was, I know Liverpool weren't great in the first half, but Man City and Liverpool put on a, sh- a show of quality to the point where you're kind of thinking, 
having just they were the, the two games I literally watched back to back. So there was I didn't watch too much football over the weekend. It was United and then it was the Liverpool City game. And I thought, wow, it's a bit of a difference, isn't it? So what do you make of it, Rob? Because there were parts of the Everton game where United looked okay, but the this issue is still cropping up. And then Liverpool and City maybe just gave a reminder to everyone that even while the points difference in the league is not that big, the gap might be bigger in terms of playing style and knowing what they're doing, I guess. Well, form in football is always visceral. So it can change very, very quickly. You can be in a situation where everything feels terrible. Stuff isn't working. Players are not carrying out tactics and you're either losing games or you're disappointing your fans. In the comparison of what you just said there, it feels like Manchester United are playing a completely different game at the moment to Liverpool and City. So it feels like Liverpool and City are Premier League teams with Premier League standards, doing Premier League things, getting their performances off, getting victories and obviously starting to really starting their campaigns as they mean to go on. When you look at Manchester United and you look at the Everton game, you know, I think for the first hour, that was the best United have played this season. And I include that, I think, with the Leeds performance where they, they obviously hammered Leeds on, Leeds on the opening day of the season. But that was, again, individual moments of brilliance. And United have become, I think, this moments football club under Solskjaer. It's kind of how it's been. So even when United have got great results, it's come from moments of magic from individuals rather than, you know, exhilarating team play. But for that first hour, it was good. It came from Cavani and Bruno. Those were the two guys that led it. They were pressing. They were pushing Everton into areas that Everton didn't want to operate in. At the end of the day, United had exceptional stats for ball retention, which is something they don't normally have. So it showed that there was a, a positive there, that United had control of the game. But what happened? A big substitution, maybe a substitution that certainly wasn't needed, either tactically or in reality. You know, United were in control. And the manager brings on a, a certain Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think from that moment on, the shape disappeared. They went from being a team back into a clutch of individuals. Bruno's game disappeared. United looked defensively uh, problematic in transition. And Cristiano kind of just played the role of star boy going anywhere he wanted on a football pitch. And it was really odd to watch, Scott. And, and it was really interesting to watch a player like Mason Greenwood who started the season well but has looked relatively poor when Ronaldo's through the centre and we saw in that game that that Mason and and uh, Cristiano were talking quite a bit in that half hour and Mason was actively like, gesturing to him to get away from him because he was basically holding on his toes you know so that Mason had nowhere to go because he was he was doing this kind of you know, strictly come dancing routine with Cristiano. They were so close to each other. They might as well have been, you know, doing a foxtrot. But finally, Ronaldo was trying to <laughs> was trying to find space in different parts of the pitch, except the one position we wanted him to play, which was centre forward. And that was a huge part of why the game collapsed for United, was that there was no coaching from the sidelines. There was no one telling Cristiano to run through the middle. Poor Mason was telling Ronaldo to get in the middle, and he was looking at Mason like he was a child. Just like, I'm not listening to you. And that was all visible from the touchline for where I was sat. And this is maybe the bit that scares me, Scott, as a United fan. you know. So as a journalist, I can review it in football terms without any bias. But as a United fan, I look at that and I think, how do you solve this problem? Because it's self-inflicted. 
we were going to dig in to what well, we've already touched on it. How have these transfers worked so far? And I noticed that on the TV as well. I noticed Ronaldo dropping into those areas. He was dropping deep just to get involved in, in a sense, because he, he would come both sides. I mean, he'd be pretty much <laughs> in front of the Everton midfield at times, I think, and just, just to get involved. And then there'd be no focal point up front. And Cavani is somebody who will occupy that position, occupy defenders and chase them down. And I agree with you. I think we saw the differences uh, when both players were, you know, we, we see the differences in both players. So Rob, let's talk about Ronaldo a little bit more. Is Ronaldo being in the team a negative for United in terms of what they want to achieve? I think we have to kind of be careful with our words around it because it would be folly to say that Cristiano Ronaldo makes United worse or that Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest goal scorer of all time, is the problem here. Because there's a much bigger question about why United are not playing good football. But these three signings were brought to the football club in this summer to make United better, to make United a stronger contender in the Premier League and for us to see better football. Now, what you said about Juventus is absolutely right. Anyone that works with the football club uh, in Turin and obviously fans of, of Juve have all said exactly the same thing. And that is that Ronaldo gets goals. Ronaldo is a, is a force of nature. Ronaldo doesn't help your team. And I think there is, there is a certain kind of football fan that might not understand that. So we talk, obviously, in my job, obviously a lot about tactics and technical issues and things like this with United. And I think when you look at Cristiano, it was very easy to spot what was good about United before he came on the pitch against Everton and what was really bad after he came on the pitch. And, uh, you know, when you have a, a top player or a world-class player, what they're supposed to do, Scott, is make other players better. So if you bring on a top player and there's three or four or five more average players, they're supposed to all knit together and work together and they're supposed to improve your outlay, improve your potential of winning a match. Cristiano coming on against Everton took United from being completely in control of the game to being completely out of control of the game. I think we're at a point here that if we just maybe go, say, the week before Manchester United signed Cristiano Ronaldo, this season should have been about three players up top. It should have been Rashford, Greenwood and Sancho. This is what United should have been this year. They should have been 4-3-3 and they should have been building around those players as being the attack. But that's not going to happen this year, Scott, now, is it? Because you've got Cristiano, you've kept Cavani. You know, you've kept these players because you feel that you need them and you feel that, that there's going to be times when you have to rely on them. And that's absolutely correct. But when are we going to see those three when Marcus Rashford comes back? Is Ole going to be brave enough to put Ronaldo on the bench with Cavani and say, I'm going with these three young bucks? I think the issue with that this year is, the, is that that's not going to happen. You know, this is where Manchester United should have gone. Uh, and Manchester United might still go this way. But will it be under this coach? I think that that is a big open question as it stands. Yeah, Ole's got some real issues to fix here. And... Ronaldo being at the club, this it's lifted the mood. It has lifted the mood. Like in general around the club, you can see it in in the the support on social and the match going support. How much United fans love Ronaldo, but at the end of the day, there there are certain issues that have to be fixed and addressed and have to be answered. If Oli, do do you see any potential ways around it, Rob? Um, I, I don't want to like put you on the spot, as in. 
you are the manager of Manchester United. How do you fix this problem? Is the only way to really sort it out. Can United manage this with Ronaldo in the team? Or is it just inevitable that he's such a powerful figure that he will always be there and he will always do whatever he wants? Well, this is the fear, isn't it? Because if Cristiano Ronaldo is at your football club, Cristiano Ronaldo starts. This is how it is. So you're never going to be in a situation. like like, Let's go back to Juventus. When he was at uh, Juve, he had to play because he's Cristiano. He's your biggest earner, one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest. And he has a kind of uh, a control that most players do not have at any football club you know maybe him and Messi are the two guys that can dictate terms to a coach it's it's doesn't have to be the other way around and if you're that player you're not going to say well yeah I'm going to give up all of this because you know it's better for Mason Greenwood if I do this it's, this will help Mason Cristiano is not going to do that he wants to be the superstar he wants to score the goals is there a way of fixing it as things stand well I think tactically the answer is no because if you start with Cristiano, you don't have a press. So you have to accept that. Cristiano Ronaldo will not press the ball. He has never pressed the ball. He is not going to start pressing the ball at 36. That is, United... just, just to interject there, that, that is actually confirmed in figures released, I think it was last year. So week, that's statistically it? fact. That's statistically fact, and we've seen that. And that is not a surprise. So when United fans, obviously, with the report that went out last week about Ronaldo being the, the worst presser in the Premier League... Of course, United fans got upset and got their backs up and they were like, well, he scores goals and, you know, we know he doesn't press. Well, if he doesn't press and you're the manager and your best football last year came through pressing with Bruno as the first wave and Martial or someone else as the second, whatever being Cavani, then if you cannot do that because you have to include a certain Cristiano Ronaldo, what do you do? I don't think that Ole has the gumption, no offence to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but I don't think he has the control to change these things. I think that the, the Glazers will expect that their superstar plays, the guy that sells all the shirts, the guy that is now the figurehead of Manchester United, his face as you walk up to Old Trafford is on the stadium. It's his big face on there because this is now Cristiano Ronaldo, United FC. And uh, and that's very, very difficult for any manager. And I think that Ole is now at that point where, you know, can he solve it or can he, or is this going to be the end of him? And I think it will be ironic if that these three signings that have come to the football club are, are the things that that finish him because last year we saw better performances with Cavani and Bruno and better chemistry and United came second in the league this United team's not getting anywhere near second this year no chance this these performances cannot recover in kind of the flick of a switch with one or two tactical changes this now feels like there is a core issue running through the football team and Ronaldo, unfortunately, is part of that. How do you fix it? You have to be braver. You have to do what I just said there. You know, you need to go with Rashford, Greenwood and Sancho at times and say, let's play, you know, something that's more exciting, more dynamic, with more movement. Cristiano came on that pitch the other day against Everton and just did not move in the areas he was supposed to. So what do you say to that? It's a very difficult situation because Cristiano does get a pass and he shouldn't. It's been noticeable even, I think it was in the Villarreal game as well, where he, he spent a bit of time on the left-hand side as uh, I think Cavani went up front. And <laughs> he would lose the ball at times and he would be about a couple of feet away from the right back or whatever who was just coming away with the ball after he'd miscontrolled it. And he was just like, no, I'm just not yeah. going to waste my energy. And in the end, he did end up scoring the goal, but it doesn't, that's not always going to happen. Like it's, it's not always going to happen. Do you think there is... 
we'll, we'll talk about Ollie a bit because I think this is just going to be a general theme throughout the podcast. And um, we'll talk about Mike Phelan's new deal and what that means a little bit later on as well. Do you feel like there is a manager out there who would be able to sort this mess out? Well, there's two obvious candidates, you know, as obvious as, as day. And that's obviously Zidane and Conti. So two managers who have won lots of trophies, managed the biggest personalities of, say, the last decade. You know, they know how to get performances out of good players. And they also have their own systems. The issue is, is whether long term, these are the managers that, that Manchester United need to fix this project to become Manchester United again. And I do think, Scott, that, that you know, if you're at the, at the point of where you are now with Ole and with the, with the style of the team and the players that you've got, you might have to admit that you're going to have to take a step back to take a step forward. So this is always how it is with managers when they fail. You know, you've always got to kind of look at it. You might, they might be the guy that you think has the tools to do the job or has the, maybe the background or the experience to do the job. And there's a big contingent of United fans that will say, I told you two years ago that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was going to end up where we are. There'll be loads of United fans that will claim that the Ole outs, people on Twitter, people who obviously, you know, after that, after a draw at home to Everton were obviously crying into their cup of soups at Old Trafford. You know, these these fans will tell you that they've already told you this and how dare you kind of go against what we said. But I think when you've got big name managers, they will have an impact. You bring in Conte, you bring in Zidane, I think it'll be an immediate uplift. You saw what happened with Tuchel at Chelsea. They went from being absolutely zeros to absolutely heroes, winning a Champions League with the same set of players. You know, they, they didn't change anything. It was the same players that were failing dramatically at Christmas. So I think that's where the way the owners will look at it. The owners will look at it that way. If Ole cannot fix it in these next kind of 10 games or so, I don't think he gets extra time. I don't think that because he's a legend that anyone who runs Manchester United cares about that. I don't think it means anything. Uh, it's all about results. It's all about performances. At the moment, the performances are dire. And because they're dire, it means results will slide. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed in the last few days or since the Everton game that the, the hashtag has now changed from Ollie out to Ollie out now. Um, people getting impatient. Uh, you, you can see why, but uh, just, to, just to make the point again, to reiterate, Rob and I both work in football media, we're both United fans, uh, and maybe I'll speak for myself here, Rob, but it's quite tiring to continuously see the hashtag trending and to fair play to you. If you want to put that amount of energy into, um, into your Twitter account or, or whatever, just writing this over and over again, like power to you. I mean, I don't, I don't really like the division that it creates, but if what's the motivation, is it just to prove that you were right? I don't know. I mean, the way I look at it, you can shout and scream all you want, but the only thing that's going to change the decisions of the of the club are the performances on the pitch and and the results that come with it. Uh, we are not Ollie out. Well, I'm not anyway, but I'm not Ollie in. This is just, we're just analysing what we see on the pitch and the feeling that goes around it. I mean, there's a lot of potential plus points that Ollie's brought in um, and he's been given the time to, put United back on a path where they would be able to rediscover their identity. The performances aren't necessarily coming with it. And if they do, they are stop start. We've not really seen that 
real consistency so far from United, even in three years, four years, however long it's been. Um, and I always, <laughs> we're talking about what what um, what we would have said two years ago. I, I always thought, as soon as I started to think that Ollie was onto something, I always did question whether he would have that final thing, that final extra little bit of quality to take United to the final step. And I think we are entering that crux period now, that, that crucial period where he has to prove that he is the one to take it forward. He did sign a new contract in the summer, but as we touched off air, touched on off air, Jose Mourinho signed a new contract and he was sacked six months later. It doesn't really make that much of a difference if the performances aren't there and the feeling around the club isn't there. So, you know, <laughs> I do worry um, with the likes of Antonio Conte about what happens later down the line because I think United are on a path where they have reset a number of things. I, I worry with with Conte, you've seen that he took Chelsea to court for <laughs> um, for millions and millions of pounds and he, I think he eventually won in the end a couple of years later. But he doesn't tend to leave clubs on good terms. It's always a bit of a fallout and he leaves a mess behind him. Uh, but he does get instant results. And we talk about uh, how do you fix a problem like Ronaldo? I think Conte is a powerful enough personality to get that under control. And we would probably see an uptake in performances, but we will see. I think Oli's got a 10-game period now, or however long it is, crucial ones in the Champions League and in the league against a lot of direct rivals like Tottenham. I think City and Liverpool are in there. Later down the line, it's Arsenal as well. It's a, it's a true t- trying and testing period for Ollie now, and it will make or break him, won't it, Rob? 100% it is the make or break period of the season already. And I think this is a that's where there's some detriment towards Ole in the sense that we shouldn't be at this point of the season this early. We, you know, we shouldn't be questioning these things. We should be looking at progression every match, good results, uh, a team that is comfortably getting into its stride in a title challenge. I do think there. I think the kind of conception about um, Antonio Conte is a skewed one because we've seen this obviously with Inter Milan and Chelsea. I think at Chelsea there were things that were wrong behind the scenes that, that weren't his fault, and Inter Milan are an absolute sham of a football club. So I think that there was no surprise when he decided that he didn't want any part of that. You've obviously seen that Romelu Lukaku, who was the big striker there, already decided that he'd had enough as well. So. I think that if Conte came to United, the 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 question would be which manager out of Zidane and Conte would get United closer to the title? And I think the answer to that is Conte. You know, I think Zidane is almost a very similar manager to Ole in that he is relatively conservative in some of his tactics. Um, he gets results, but he's always been better in cup competitions than leagues. That's a problem because we're looking here at three points for a win every week. And that's where you kind of turn to Conte. The other side of it is, Scott, that if you want to carry on a more holistic project, as I like to call it, then there's candidates like Graham Potter. You could really put your neck on the line and go full-on tracksuit manager. Yeah, Go full-on someone who fixes the technical and tactical issues of the football team. But I think this is where Ole falls short. You know, we rely a lot on Carrick and McKenna. They're the guys that behind the scenes have the input on the tactics and they do the training. They're the guys on the coaching ground. Do you need now a coach that maybe you accept that this year is not going to happen and that in years to come that you get someone who is maybe more of a prodigious talent who's proved himself through the ranks and you give someone like that a big chance? The issue with that, of course, is that Man United fans will go wild. If Graham Potter got the job, United fans would absolutely, would, oh God, 
social media would just explode and it would be the end of the world. So that's the problem I've, with I've, that. And I've had I've had conversations with Arsenal fans around that as well. And mm-hmm. even Arsenal fans would melt. I know Arsenal fans melt down at everything, but even Arsenal fans would think, wow, this is a big, too big a step up. And United are levels above Arsenal as well. And and this is why football as an industry is not always true. Because if you were looking at winning football matches, you would look for the best coaching option every time. That's what you would do. But in this current age, we are, we are looking at superstardom and names to placate fans. And I think this is where the Glazers have got it wrong for, for the best part of 10 years, is that they've bought players to shut the fans up. That's one thing. You know, Ronaldo included. You can go back and look at Di Maria, Falcao, Schweinsteiger. There's a load of them. And then you look at the coaching, and they did it with Van Gaal. Van Gaal came in. I supported that move. You brought in Mourinho. I supported that move too. You know, bona fide winners. And then I supported Ole because... It was we needed a reboot, and we've got to a point now, two, three years on, where that reboot is now hit a bit of a wall. That happens in football, so you have to make a football choice. Unfortunately, you're going to get Zidane or Conte not just because of their winning records or what they've done in the past, but because of who they are. You know, you sell the personality to the football fans, and if one of those managers come in, there'll be a big raft of United fans who are absolutely delighted. The Ollie outs will feel like they've won some kind of victory. This campaign, two or three years of telling telling the world that they were right, and I think that's what it is with social media. I want to be right, therefore, and that's how we are. But I think that if you're going to pick one of those managers, probably Conte is your instant fix, but not your long term fix. But if you wanted a long term kind of project and you were willing to back it and do it properly from the ground up then someone like Graham Potter has showed that that he knows what to do in the Premier League his system is beautiful he's getting Brighton playing the kind of football that most people didn't think that a club of that stature could play now it doesn't mean that Brighton won't get relegated they might but the style of football matches the philosophy of, of someone like Manchester United. So I, I think that, you know, the next few weeks, it's going to be, this podcast is going to be relatively confused. We're going to be trying to assess stuff on the fly and say, well, you know, Ole did this and it changed that. And now they're playing this kind of football. There's every chance with this dysfunctional Manchester United team that they could come out this 10 games with nine wins. And we're like, well, you've beaten Liverpool. Well, you've beaten Man City. Oh, look, you're top of the league. And it's November. That could happen. But that's well, it, because it, man- it's such an odd feeling, though, isn't it? Like, th- there's been, even over the last few years, I, I've always felt like United have always had this problem where playing against teams who will make it difficult for them, it, it does, you, you're never sure. But there's been this really, I, I'm not sure whether it's unwarranted air of confidence in my head anyway, but there's, there's some games where I just feel like because this team x will come on to united and try and enforce their style and take the game to them that might allow ollie to work in the way he's ideally always worked and you've seen you've seen him get results against city home and away in the past uh and city are playing probably some of the best football in europe at the moment you've, you've seen him pick apart man city uh through you know just stuff that he's thought about because pep won't really ever change and ollie just sees you know areas where he can pick them apart and it's worked that's why i can't really say <laughs> that you know the people have identified that the united are going into games like the everton one where and the aston villa one where they will have a lot of problems and then they're automatically thinking that oh you united have got this really difficult run they're going to have more problems it doesn't necessarily work that way it's always gonna it, i don't know how i feel i don't know how how comfortable it makes me feel because 
you just never really know what you're getting. But there's always this thing inside you that thinks, I've seen them do it before, so they could probably do it again. And I, I would don't want to write Ollie off <laughs> for that reason, because he's done it before. Absolutely. And I think it also, you know, it proves the fact when people say that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer hasn't got tactics, that that's rubbish because he is out tactically, if that's a word, all these top managers last year. And before we've seen it, you know, he's taken Pep to the cleaners. He's proved that he can set a team up to beat better managers. But the problem there lies, Scott, that we're supposed to be Manchester United. We're supposed to be the top. We're supposed to be the team that is is telling everyone else, you try and stop our style. I know that Oleg Solskjaer wants to play attacking football. He said it plenty of times when we've interviewed him and he's talked about how he sees the stylistic properties of the football club and what he wants to do to do that, to be able to do that every week. What we're not seeing is consistency. So we're not seeing consistency of approach, consistency of tactics. The team itself is very skewed. That has to come from the manager. And now he has better players, Scott. He has to do better. So what I would have liked going into these games now with Liverpool and City is that United look comfortable in their own skin, that they're going to go and play a brand of Manchester United football that would make Pep Guardiola kind of wake up in the middle of the night and go, how do I stop this? What do I do? What can I change? How do I find a way to beat this team? Because I played them last year and they kind of took me to the cleaners sometimes. How do I change it? That's not the narrative now. The narrative is Manchester United in flames, players running around the football pitch with fire extinguishers trying to put out fires and United trying to keep their head above water. And this is also why I don't want to talk about players like McFred and, you know, this kind of core issues at United because they are the same problems. They don't change. And you can't you, you can't um, sell them in the middle of a season. You can't just buy someone and fix it in a, in a flick of a switch. And United fans are fixated by these lesser players. Do you know what I think, Scott? I put it all down on your better players. Tell your better players to go out there and dictate and dominate. Tell Cristiano Ronaldo to be the best Ronaldo he can be. Go and tell Bruno Fernandes he's got to find a way to play with Cristiano. Go and tell those you know, experienced, ageing players to go and help the youngsters. Go and help the lesser players. And then you become a team. And I think that, that, is, that that's where Ole has to find the solution, is that he has got experienced heads now. He's got world-class players. He's got players that won World Cups, European Championships, Champions Leagues, all over the pitch. And it looks worse than last season. Uh, in just pure football in terms, that's unacceptable. You lead me on to... Uh talking about younger players in the team. I, I'm going to include Jaden Sancho in that. We, we said that we were going to discuss the starts for Sancho and Varane. Perhaps not Tom Heaton, uh, even though he is a new signing at the club. Jaden Sancho. So he's found it a little bit difficult in the, in the first few weeks, but there were signs against Villarreal where, I don't know whether he's growing in confidence, but he does seem to, like, want to enforce his style on other players. Like there, there were times where he put the Villarreal right back on toast. Uh, and he, he's growing in confidence. He's not had a goal and assist yet. And unfortunately, we're in an age where they are the only things that matter. Uh, but Sancho is 21. I think he's still 21. Uh, it's an incredible amount of money he's come in for. There's a lot of pressure on him. United are a club like no other in terms of the pressure and the focus that there's a video of Sir Alex Ferguson speaking to Khabib 
uh, after the game or maybe before the game from the other day uh, saying, oh, well, you should start always start your best players like Ronaldo. I, I, don't, I don't really think... I was trying to think to myself when I saw that, are there any other clubs out there that would make such a massive deal out of a little throwaway comment that Sir Alex Ferguson has made on video or that some like figure in history has made... And it would, it would become such a story. I think Khabib's had to go back and actually mute the store, mute the, the video because, you know, it's, it's just become something in a world of its own. You look at a club like City, there's no issues if uh, Pep drops somebody to the bench. It's always all about United and the focus is always on United. And that's what Sancho's come, come into, just to bring it back to him. It'll take him some time, but are you encouraged by what you've seen so far, even while he's not really hit full speed yet? Totally. And and I think that there are other factors why, you know, Jadon Sancho hasn't started as many matches as we all thought he would. You know, he's had little knocks and there's issues in the team and trying to find a, a pattern of play as a, as a wider question for United. But you're right, as you said about uh, the Khabib video and what happened with Fergie. You know, Manchester United are a reality TV show. Manchester City are not. Liverpool are not. Borussia Dortmund are not. And I think that when you look at Jadon Sancho... He's just been playing at a proper football club for the last few years. <laughs> Manchester United are not a proper football club at the moment. And this is part of the frustration. You know, we are a, we are a, this kind of social media entity, aren't we, of, uh, of glamour. You know, we are a glamour football club. And that sometimes reflects in how, does, how the football club is staged in the media. And, and United enforce some of that. Like, let's not, this is not, a, oh, poor man United, a uh, little bit of a, of a comment. United actually foister all of this. They create these things, you know, that they want to be that glamour football club. They want people to come to Old Trafford to the theatre of dreams and they want it to to have this kind of selling power. You know, as Ed Woodward once described Manchester United, we are the Disney world of football. So we don't want to be the Disney world of football. We've got players who can take us to become a serious football club. We look at Jaden. I think that He's come to the football club. He needs a little bit of time to settle down, but I really do like what he's done. But when we talked about things like Cristiano going into areas of the football pitch that don't help you, you've got to remember, Jadon Sancho's just spent, you know, a year or two with a bloke called Haaland in front of him. And all he's got to do is look up and play the ball in the channel. And that's it. That's all he's got to do to create. There's my striker. I play the ball in behind. Haaland's in. Cristiano doesn't do that. That's really difficult for the creative players. I, obviously, I touched on Mason on the right-hand side. Mason's not the most creative, but I think he's become more creative in the last 12 months. He's a he's a much better all-rounded entity on the right-hand side. What's he supposed to do if the striker isn't there? He's telling the striker, go into the centre. He's waving his arms. You cannot see it here on the podcast, but I'm waving my arms towards Scott here. And this is what exactly what uh, Mason was doing to Ronaldo. Ronaldo just kind of went, hmm. And just did what he wanted. So I think that's a problem for Jaden as well, isn't it? So that front line, I think it's interesting. When we see uh, Marcus come back, it's not very far away. I think he'll be back after the international break. He's already doing contact training. Ole then has a question to answer. And that is, how does he reshape his attack? And does he forsake Ronaldo at times? Does he say to Cristiano, do you know what? I'm bigger than you. I'm the manager of this football club. I'm going to sit you down because... Jaden Sancho is my long-term future and I'm going to play Jaden and I'm going to play Marcus and I'm going to play Mason. Will that happen? I tell you what, Scott, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say no. It's got to happen at some point though, you'd think, right? Ronaldo's, he's not going to keep going until he's 45 playing week after week after week. He is, he is 36. You can see it in his, uh, you, you're wincing a little bit there. <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe if he was at a different club, 
Yeah. Ronaldo's Ronaldo's stats and metric prove that when Ronaldo plays, he scores. You know, no one can debate this. He is a cold-blooded killer. But like you're just saying there, you know, as a manager, if I am Cristiano's manager, can I bring him into my office and say, Cristiano, <laughs> you've got a goal a game ratio this year. I'm putting you on a bench. It's not going to happen, is it? It's never going to happen. You scored five in five, Cristiano. Uh, I'm dropping you. It's not going to happen. So this is the problem that Ole has because I would like to see as a football fan and as a, as a journalist and someone that wants to see United play expansive football, I'd like to see those front three play in the same way that Liverpool have a front three that's solid and allow the midfield to do the work and allow the defence to push up and you have a nice shape. United's shape is awful and it comes from the front and in the midfield and then back to the defence. So like you're saying, they'll, you know, surely it will happen. Well, it might not happen for 12 months or 24 months. And that's kind of scary because these lads are banging on the door. They're young, but we didn't buy Jaden Sancho to work out in two or three years time. We bought Jaden Sancho to help us win the league this year and beyond. You know, I, I said to just a minute ago, didn't I, that, that Ronaldo's big face was there on the front of, of Old Trafford. There's only one face bigger out there, and that's Jaden Sancho. He is the main player on the picture outside Old Trafford, and Cristiano is second in terms of, you know, largeness of marketing. Hmm. You know, we brought Jaden to this football club to play, play him, find a way to play him now. And I think with Ole, is he finding ways to do it? I think he wants to. But as it stands, if Ronaldo is your central striker, I think all of the players around that attack are going to have problems to have, find their own consistency. Let's uh, let's switch to briefly Raphael Varane before we wrap up. Uh, I would like to talk about Mike Friedland's new deal, um, but we'll touch on Rafa Varane first. What have you made of him, Rob? Because I think there are moments where he's looked quite dominant uh, in certain situations where United are kind of hemmed back in their own box and he's been quite good in the air. Uh, you can see his class on the ball. You can see he just looks a bit different, doesn't he? He just looks like... I hate to use the cliche of Rolls-Royce, but he does look like that at times. But at the same time, he has also been shown up as part of United's, you know, lack of structure in a sense. It's It's been it's been difficult for him at times. So I think you, you mentioned earlier on, um, nobody really in Europe goes from back to front like teams do in the Premier League. And he's maybe found that a little bit difficult. But I think he's relishing the challenge. What have you, uh, what have you made of him so far? I think that he's pure class. And I think that, you know, if we were talking about him now being a Manchester City's defence or Liverpool's defence, I think we'd all be saying, well, this could be a player of the year candidate here. You know, he's that good. He is that good. His coverage is excellent in general. His uh, economy with the ball at his feet is excellent. He pushes play up. He marks people. He, he can switch. He can do all sorts of stuff. He is the, the centre-back that Manchester United need. And if they'd had him last year, you know, they might have been even closer to City in terms of the overall picture in the Premier League. I have no issues about him. I don't have any issues about Jadon Sancho either, you know. And, and I don't, even with everything that I'm saying about Cristiano, I don't really have any issues about him of what he does because we know what he does. It's what, what he is. The three, the three players have come in and I think that they will have an impact on this season. It's just whether Ole or whoever is managing the football club come in, say, a month or two's time, if they can get the most out of these players. I think Conte takes these three players, he makes a team and it competes. At the moment, this team isn't competing. I don't blame those three signings. You know, I don't think, I think the blame game is is pointless. They've all got their own attributes. 
And I think when you look at Varane, the, I think the bigger question is going to be this season is which of the centre-backs is better next to him. You know, I think that Varane looks really good on the left side of defence. That's a problem for Harry Maguire. Um, Harry Maguire has looked a lesser centre-back this year. For I think he's had a knock. There have been issues, so there's that to take into account. He's going to be out of the team now for a little while. That's a big chance for Victor. Uh, and I think Lindelof looks okay next to to Rafael in, in, the, in the back four. So I don't really have a problem with United defensively, even though the defensive record is telling you something else. You know, United are conceding goals at an alarming rate at the moment. But I think the issues come across the pitch, not specifically at centre-back. I like Rafa Varane. I think he's a he's a top player. And I think at 28 years old, he is going to be a, a big win for Manchester United over the next few years that you just need to find a way to, to kind of capitalise on what he's good at. And there's lots of things that he's good at. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there. I think when you look at the the squad and the the personnel that's in the in the, within the club now, you you look at it and you think, wow, that is a stacked team. There's still issues to address, but it's about getting the best out of that lot. It's not the case anymore where United squad is in massively inferior to one of their major rivals. The performances aren't really there at the moment, but it's about making them all work together. They certainly don't lack in that aspect of the game. And just to jump in, sorry, Scott, one, one thing to highlight as well there, just on the back of what you're saying, because I think it, 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 there's some meaning there, is that when things are going wrong at a football club, in our industry, we start to hear it. We hear it from behind the scenes, from staff and from players, and the whispers get out, and it's very, very clear that things are not working. Yeah, a manager has invariably lost the dressing room, as the press, as we like to say. That's not happening at Man United. Players are happy. Players are players are saying they like the training. They like the coaching staff. They like where they are. Rafael Varane had a big, long chat to the press the other day about how impressed he is with how United coach, how how the communication lines are really good, how he understands what his manager wants, and that in previous years that other managers didn't do that for him. So, you know, that's a, that's that does mean something. You know, players don't generally say that stuff unless they mean it. And uh, and you know, Paul Popper's talked about exactly the same line: happy with the manager, happy with the training, kind of very comfortable. Uh, football fans might say that they're lying or they're kind of making it up or they're too comfortable. But when players say that, it generally means that things are working behind the scenes. Because when they stop working, I tell you what, we hear about it very very quickly. Uh, let's wrap up, Rob. Let's let's talk about. Uh, well, we'll talk about next week. We'll on next week's podcast. We will have a look at the fixtures that United have to come. We've already touched on it. It's a very very difficult run of games that United have coming up in multiple competitions. I say multiple, maybe two, <laughs> uh, because United <laughs> are out of the League Cup. Uh, Got the FA Cup to come. The FA Cup <laughs> is back in January, but uh, let, let's let's wait and see how it goes in the next few weeks and months. Mike Phelan's new deal uh, was announced on Monday, I believe it was. Now, I think it was a, it was a long term contract. Mike Phelan's been within the club now for a few years. After a few years away, most took it as, "Oh well, this is a massive show of support for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. This means that Ollie is." fully backed and fully believed in Mike Phelan's there, his right-hand man, you know, they're, they're together. The club really, really believe in where they're going and they will not veer off this path at all. What do you think? Is that is that the case? Or is that part of a wider plan, regardless of whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is there? 
I think it's part of a wider plan. So when Mike Phelan uh, left Manchester United, obviously during the transition between Sir Alex Ferguson and David Moyes, he was just really part of that clear out. Obviously, people like Rennie Millerstein and the, the coaching staff in general from top to bottom that, that David Moyes you know, gave their P45 to and said goodbye. And Mike Phelan talked about that transi transition quite a bit to us in the press. And he said at the time that he would have liked to have stayed at United in a more of an advisory role, kind of having being the connection between coaching staff and the board and him fulfilling that function, almost like a director of football. But that didn't happen. United were not keen on a director of football structure at that time. And with a director of football, you also need other people that work with a director of football. I think this is what this contract is about. So... I think that if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was sacked for results, and this is kind of what this podcast has been about, about the potential of that, and we see that happen in a month or two, I don't really think that that would affect Mike Phelan's position at Manchester United. I think there is this wider kind of remit that United need to retain some more knowledge in the football club from previous winning scenarios. So there's no Fergie anymore. What can you do? Well, maybe his assistant manager will be a good person to keep in in the football club to help future managers in terms of the style of Manchester United and the communication between the dressing room and maybe the objectives of the board. I think that's what that's about. I think Mike Phelan will be at United for a while. He might be one of these guys who are on in the shadows a little bit more. Like I, As I said to you, I think before the podcast, what does Mike Phelan do on the touchline? He doesn't do anything. He does no coaching. So what's the point in having him there? You might as well be sat in the boardroom and, and talking to you know, the money men, maybe talking to the director of football, you know, talking to Darren Fletcher and Murto. Uh, he will be at the club for that function, even if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer leaves. I don't think he will be assistant manager forever. And at this rate, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not going to be manager forever. That, that was a, just to wrap up, that was actually a criticism of United over the years where they flitted between different managers, David Moyes, Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, Where's the director of football? Where's the plan? Where's the long-term plan? We're jumping from one plan to another with managers who want different players and different identities. Maybe that's a sign, like with Murto, Darren Fletcher and Mike Phelan. Maybe that's yeah. a sign that they've addressed that. Yeah, and also I think there's some United fans have kind of come to the kind of uh, conclusion that that it's kind of jobs for old boys kind of thing. You know, like this is, you know, it's just a kind of old boys club and that's what United are doing. You know, when Chelsea, Chelsea have a director of football structure and when Chelsea are done with the manager, even a Frank Lampard, I've said this before, you can be a legend, you're gone, you're out. That structure will adhere to what the board want. That's how it works. United structure is the same. These guys are brought in to kind of be the go-betweens between new signings, kind of find a stylistic um, advancement in the football team but also talk to the board and keep those channels open it's about communication and I think Mike Freeland is good at that he's a communicator he always is you know he, he wanted this role he wanted to kind of be I'm kind of promoting him eh? I know it hasn't happened I'm promoting him to the boardroom before it's even happened but uh, but the contract kind of tells you that United are happy with what he does and, and how he is as a person I don't really think it's connected to say Carrick, McKenna and Solskjaer. I think they're the guys that do run the team itself. But Mike Freeland's a kind of elder statesman. It's it's trying to keep a little bit of Fergie in the football club without having Fergie actually sat there making decisions. Right. Okay, Rob. So I think we're done for the day. Uh, reminder, subscribe to our podcast. We are on Apple, Spotify and Google Follow us on Twitter too. You can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promised Land MU. 
drop us some nice reviews if you like what we're um, producing uh, wherever you want. Uh, get in touch with us on Twitter as well. We really like the, uh, the engagement and the discussion, even if you disagree. Uh, get in touch with us and we will be more than happy to respond. Uh, Rob, it's been, I'd like to say fun, but I don't really know if this is fun, you know? Uh, <laughs> <just> <laughs> digging into the problems at United that we know are there that maybe some don't want to address. Is it fun? I don't know. No, it's not fun. Like, it really isn't fun. Like, this is this whole thing. Like People talk about like being a football journalist as, as an amazing profession, and it is. You know, like, we are very lucky to work in football, and that's our bread and butter, and that's, a, that's something we must always remember on the, on the kind of more dark days and when things don't feel good. But being, is it fun being a Manchester United fan? Is it fun going to Old Trafford in my life at the moment? No, it isn't. I go to Old Trafford and I walk away from Old Trafford going, what What am I doing here? So this is, the, that's also the, how I felt at the end of the managers that we've had before. Like with Mourinho, that's where it changed for me. I was like, I don't want to watch this anymore. And as soon as I feel that, I kind of know that there is a reason for it. I, I'm always very moderate and I like to give managers a chance and time. But I think that's where we are with Ole. I think we're kind of at a crossroads. And he's either going to fix it, Scott, and we're going to feel better about it. And we're going to be like, look, Ronaldo's now running the channel. And we're like, how did that happen? But it feels like it probably won't. I don't know if it's fun. Do you think it's fun? How do you feel, Scott? No, I'm, I'm mixed. I'm, I'm exactly like you. So, sometimes it is, even when those late winners against Villarreal come and you realise, wow, what the hell was that? But I love it at the same time. It's, it's, it's a weird mix of emotion. I've been in this uh, spot with United for a good few years now. So um, I don't know, Rob. It's it's a it's a difficult answer. I can't even I can't even put a definitive one on it for you. But we will see. Perhaps United win their next ten games. Everything is fixed and everything is fine and everything is merry and United are going to win the league. I don't think that'll happen, but we will see. Uh, we will look at the fixtures that are coming up in next week's show. So uh, stick with us. Um, also, get in touch if you want us to discuss anything in particular. Um, but if not. Um, Rob, thanks a lot, mate. Uh, it's been good to speak to you again. Thank you for listening, everyone. And remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So we'll see you soon. <laughs>